God be glorified. He is good. His word and his works shall endure forever. I have decided that when I get to heaven, I'm going to make a request to be with the worshipers who just led us so that I can be close to them. They get it. May God bless them and keep them. It's good to be in the presence of other saints and believers this morning, glorifying God through prayer, through the reading of scripture, and through the singing of songs and hymns. Our God is a good God. And I'm a guest here, so thank you all for having me. But I say this on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I pray that you are getting to know him already today. And if you're confused about what the shed blood and all this talk about Jesus is about, may this word make it even more clear to you. When you come to know him, join this flock and praise God with them. Bless you all for having me be your guest today. Bless my Cedarville crew here hanging out. Good to see you all this morning. Pastor Cunningham uh, for inviting me and the kind hospitality for everyone who I've emailed and corresponded with up to this point. Thank my bride and my crew, the Joneses for rolling with me this morning. And uh, that's all I'm going to say because I want to get into the word this morning. You want to hang out with us, we'll be out there having coffee or whatever it's after church and we can chat about other things. But... Right now, I just want to exalt Christ and um, invite you all to get to know him better through the preach word today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the scripture. Father, I am dust. You don't need me, but you have chosen me which blows my mind. Lord, I know that I must give an account for everything that I say when I meet you. That gives me pause. So with fear and with trembling, Open up your scripture, and I need your strength to preach an uncompromising word, one that will comfort the hearts that need to be comforted, a word that will confront image bearers living in ungodliness, a word that would conform us to look more like your son, Christ Jesus. Father, you've called me to be a trumpeter, to, to, to shout of your goodness, to be a representative of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So, Father, there's so much I want to say about this text and so much I want to say about you. Would you govern me? Would you guide me every word, every syllable by the power of your spirit? Let me boast in you. But people love you more. Let me see you new and fresh. Because I need you. 
Give me a word from my heart, Lord. Sustain me, please. This prayer and all I ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, you can turn with me in your scripture this morning to Hebrews chapter 1. It's customary for you all to stand. You can do that. If not, please keep your seat. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1 from the English Standard Version. In a moment, I'll read 14 verses. If I could title this text, I would title the sermon, Christ is Supreme and We Are Secure. Christ is supreme and we are secure. Now listen, I I work at a university and I trust uh, you all uh, maybe have gone to a graduation this year. I've gone to more than I can count. Okay, thank you for the laughter. (laughs) I bore through many of graduations. And leaders, superintendents, and principals, and university presidents, and other administrators, they get up and say fabulous things about fabulous people. This student was the best of this area, and this student was great and phenomenal in this area, and here is the valedictorian here, and here is the most successful in this and that, and you go through all these lists of accolades, and here's the person who got this many dollars going to college, and here is the person who has this fabulous job, and all those things are good. But when you weigh them to the weightiness of the supremacy of Christ, they are but dust. And so many of you all, I hope, maybe, maybe you received some of those awards in high school. I didn't get any. <laughs> I made a turn after high school. <laughs> praise the Lord. My wife said, praise the Lord. <laughs> It wasn't me. I didn't get any of those things. They're all good. And maybe you're like excellent at your job for one thing or another. And you just received a fabulous promotion. You serve in the military and God bless you for your service. Put your hands together for those who have served for us. And all those things are still like dust. Taco Bell will even tell you they have the most supreme tacos. And for years I was a Taco Bell eater. I don't eat Taco Bell anymore. I'm sorry if you own one. I will support you, but I just, you know, come to the point in your life and you say, I can't eat Taco Bell anymore. If you need me to explain that, I'll explain it after. You get supreme, this is supreme, that, but all that is dust. Jesus Christ is supreme. So no one knows the author of this, of this beautiful, marvelous letter. Some argue for Paul. Some argue for Apollos. As Christians, there's some things worth arguing about. Who wrote this letter is not worth arguing about to me. The words are beautiful and they are sweet to our soul. So we have to ask ourselves the question, like, what provoked the author to pen this letter? They were up against a few things. One, they were, they, they were stumbling over the fact that they thought some of their traditions were better than Christ. Some of the things that they just had dealt with and loved in the Jewish tradition they thought were better than Christ. All of us are guilty of that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We say our historical traditions are better than, than, than Christ or are better than what the Scripture tells us 
and that's wrong. <laughs> Another thing that the writer had to address was there, was there was some confusion about how Jesus Christ was actually supreme over the angels and all angelic beings. People were stumbling into worshiping of angels. And so the, the, the author of this marvelous letter penned this letter to the hearts of believers, to hearts of Jewish Hebrew believers. Hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he had inherited is much more excellent than theirs. For whom, which of the angels, did God ever say, hey, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says this, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Oh, I love the scripture. God's word is sufficient. It sharpens, it chastens, it corrects us. So, so later on in Hebrews, the writer, he begins, to, he begins to lay weight on why these things are important. And I'll just ask you to take a couple of notes. I know you all are scholars in here. So I'm going to trust that you're going to read up on some of these things a little later. There are like 19 implications in these 14 verses why Christ is supreme. And I'm not that like fancy. So you'll be able to trace with me and just be able to circle them in your scripture. I'll write down a couple of key words as I try to unearth these implications on why Christ is supreme and we are secure. Now we need to get this because if not, in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer goes on to say, there is a danger of drifting away. If you don't believe this, if you don't believe that Christ is supreme and that you are secure in him, there is a danger of drifting away. If you don't believe that Christ is supreme and that we are secure, 
chapter 3, the writer unfolds that we are in danger of disbelief. Oh, yeah, there's some other things that are supreme too. No, wrong, wrong, wrong. There's a third thing that the writer he hints at in chapter 5. The, the third thing that we have to be really, really careful of if we don't believe that Christ is supreme and that we are secure is that we would just fall into just blatant Christian immaturity. And that stinks. Because Paul says, you should be eating meat by now. You should be teaching others right now. Yet instead, you're still stumbling over the elementary things and you're still a milk drinker. So the writer says, if you don't believe that Christ is supreme and we are secure, you're going to waddle in immaturity. And that's not good for the local bodies. Then in chapter 10, the writer says this. If you don't believe that Christ is supreme and that we are secure, you're going to stumble into willful sinning. You just love sin. The writer also warns us in chapter 12 that if we don't believe that Christ is supreme and that we are secure, then we're going to simply be unresponsive to the gospel. You hear, you hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, you just kind of sit on it. Like, oh, that's like nothing. Like, no, it's a big deal. <laughs> Let's look at these few verses. No, I will not preach all 14 of these verses today. You can relax. You can relax. I won't get through all of them today. A few of them. Verse 1 says this. Here's one of, my, here's one of the first application points for us. First application point is read the prophets. Read the prophets. Read the Old Testament. Check this out. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You have to make a habit of flipping through and reading the prophets. The Old Testament is there for our good consumption. We can't just be like New Testament Christians because long ago and in many times, God spoke to the prophets. And what we get to see when we read the prophets is that there is this loving consistency in the way that God speaks to his people. Read the prophets. And I don't want you to think the prophets are hard to read. Some of them are, but if you just dive into them and make it a habit of eating and dealing with the robust things of God, you will, you will take great delight in reading them. You will also see that there's nothing new under the sun and that any television show you watch or any book you can read has come from Scripture. Any plot line, any good, decent plot line comes from the Old Testament book of the Bible. Read the prophets. Now, here's what's amazing. Because God spoke. Now, that's a big deal. God spoke. I wish I could preach like every single one of these words. There's, there's a few ways you can approach Hebrews, I think. One is like try to preach it how I'm going to try to preach it today in one chunk. Then there's this like this six-week session you can preach it. And then it's like 19 weeks, but I'm going to air on one lump sum today. But check this out. God spoke. He didn't have to speak. Some of us are so catty and petty, we won't even speak to other image bearers or we're in their space. We look at people, we put our heads down, we carry on as if we can't acknowledge people around us. But God, the Father who created uh, of all the universes, he looked down and he spoke to people. He's a big God and chose to speak to us. He spoke to us because he cares 
for us. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And it gets better. It's like there's this building. Hey, I sent my prophets. You didn't like my prophets, though. <laughs> you killed them. Hopefully I'll call it some of the words of those songs. It's like we, we, get, we get to sing with the saints. And so when I'm singing that, I'm thinking about saints being sawed in half. These men and women were martyred, burned alive, sawed in half, dismembered, and we get to see them, bodies put back together, and I get to worship with Isaiah. Hey, that's going to be fun. <laughs> and Jeremiah and Ebed Melech, who pulled Jeremiah out of the mucky pit, I get to worship with the Egyptian women who refuse to put babies to death. I get to worship with the saints, and that makes me excited. And then there's this building. He said, cool, cool. I spoke to my prophets, but in these last days, so I circle the words last days too because we're living in the last days. Now, I'm simply saying what the scripture is saying. No man knows the day or the hour that Christ will return. But the scripture says we're living in these last days. So I trust the scripture. <laughs> I think we're living in the last days. So keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake because we're living in the last days. The last days are not time for us to doze off. It's time for us to get ready. It's not time for us to tinker with sin. It is time for us to be ready. We are living in the last days. It is time for us to stop being cowards. We're living in the last days. It's time for us to stop infighting because we're living in the last days. We have an enemy who is trying to make a mockery of us, and we want to mock one another. We are living in the last days because the Scripture says so. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. What did his Son say? Hopefully I'll make it through the second verse. The clock just keeps counting up. Here are some of the words that Christ said. So now I'm pushing you. I ask you to read the Old Testament. The second application point is like the first. Read the New Testament. <laughs> I should have just put them together and said read your Bible. But then y'all yeah, would have just like read the New Testament. Read the words of Christ. Christ says things like this, come all who are weary and heavy laden. Christ says words like, I am the vine. Christ says words like, I laid down my life for you. Christ says words like, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Christ says words like, I laid down my life for you. Christ said words like, Lazarus. Get up. Christ said words like be healed. And people were healed. Christ said words like your sins are forgiven and lame people walked. Sometimes he said nothing except for something like who touched me? And a woman is healed from an issue of blood. In these last days he has spoken to us through his son. What's the warning there? The one is this so often we want to listen to other people and what they have to say. I'm not saying there's not such thing as helpful news anchors and politicians and teachers and other folks. I'm, I'm simply saying you should spend more time reading the words of Christ and analyzing the words of Christ than you do analyzing your favorite news anchor, TV show host, or whatever thing you want to talk about on TV, social media. 
If you know every single episode of Name Your Favorite Show, but can't like highlight a few verses from Christ, shame on you. And I don't mean that to condemn you, I mean that to admonish you. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul does say, I want to admonish you, I want to sharpen you. So would you put your face in God's word? Because in these last days, I'm sure you're looking for answers. I'm looking for answers. So in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. If you're a young person, like, oh, man, you know, nobody wants to pay attention to me. Nobody loves me. Nobody's engaging me. Hey, Christ wants to engage you. If like nobody understands your highs and your lows and your woes and your lefts and your rights, Christ completely understands you. Okay, let me get to these reasons because I'm, I'm, I'm on in these last days. He spoke to his son. And that's like the second half of verse 2. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Y'all stumbled over this for a long time. Not stumbled in a bad way. I was stuck on it. Because when it says heir of all things, like that means he's heir over me. And to be heir over something means like it's something worth possessing. Like nobody wants to become an heir over a piece of junk. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I left you a dust bucket. Like, no, 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 I don't want a dust bucket. I left you this old thing. It's like, no, 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 no. If you want to be heir of something, you want to be over something that's valuable, over a jewel, over something that's precious, over something that's, over something that's good, over something that's worth something. And so I begin to look at myself and my brokenness, and I said, why would you want me? <laughs> you want you want me out of all the things? You want me? Christ is heir over all things. He desires you. He wants you. Would you come to him? He rules. He appointed heir. There's several times the writer hints at the words appointed. We won't highlight all of them now, but go through later on and struggle those words appointed, which means God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, the Godhead, are working in unity together, and God is making a motion, and His Son is moving in active obedience, and the Spirit is moving in active obedience. God appointed Him heir of all things. You can also circle the word all. You don't miss nothing. If you have kids, I have kids. Sometimes I'm worse than my kids. Like, go in there and make sure the table's clean. Babe, my wife will say, go wipe the table. Make sure you get all of it. There hasn't been a time in my life I've been able to get all of anything off of a table. I don't care how hard I clean. I think people just, like, walk by and just, like, drop dust right after I wipe a table off. Like, what is this? Help me, Lord. I, like, wipe with my left hand and wipe with my right and wipe vertically or whatever. Okay, he says he wants all things are his. All things are his. Through whom he also created the world. All things were created through him. Here's something worth knowing. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. So what you get when you see Christ in the scripture, what people got when they were able to walk with him was just this glowing, this, 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 this radiating, this, this, this radiance of God. He was beautiful. Not, not just his physicalness, but in the way that he lived was beautiful. 
are we reflecting God our Father? We should likewise be radiant. Or do people see us and see dimness and murkiness and messiness? Do you radiate God's glory? Or do you radiate your own glory? The scripture says he is the radiance of the glory of God. There's another implication for us. And the exact imprint of his nature. Now here's the deal. Many people today, as well as now, sometimes we like to say, oh yeah, today we're up against such hostility. I'm like, yeah, but the Christians have always been up against such hostility. People have always denied the supremacy of Christ. Like, listen, young folks, you're not dealing with anything new. I mean, just for real, this not being off-putting, it's just a quick historical lesson. Right? It's just like, no, it's not new. People have always denied the supremacy of Christ. We have Council of This and Council of Nicaea and all these councils trying to come together to say, is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Was he born? Was he not born? Did he make the earth? Did he not make the earth? Is he, is he rule over the universe? That's not new. People have been arguing about that for thousands of years. But I do want you to know he is the exact imprint of his nature. When he's talking to the disciples and they're saying, show me God the Father, he says, how have you been with me this long and you don't know, Philip? I am him. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that's power. It's power in his name. Power in his name. Here comes the gospel. It's power in his name. He is supreme, and so we are secure. Because not only does he hold the universe in his hands, but he holds you and you and me in his hands. Your life could be a plumful mess right now. You could be safe in the Father's hands. I suspect there are turbulence in all of our lives right now. Marriages, Scripture has an answer for that. Wayward children, that's nothing to him. He got that. Grandparents or parents that want to give you a hard time, they don't know Jesus. You've been trying to preach to them for years. He got that too. Bosses that are acting ungodliness and treating you unfair, he got that. That's in his hand. The state of the world, he got that in his hand. Whatever we're up against, he holds the universe in his hands. Check this out. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now the question has to be for the human heart, how did he make purifications for sins? Let me tell you, that's called the gospel. All things were created through him. We've already seen that in the first few verses. Everything he made was perfect. Adam and Eve, if you read the Old Testament, like I'm begging you to do, you'll see that Adam and Eve fail. They sinned, fell into sin, invited sin into the world. And since then, we have been living lives chasing after ungodliness. And he sent the prophets. You didn't hear the prophets, so he sent his son, the sacrificial lamb. See, there are consequences that must be paid for our sins as much as there are consequences to be paid in life when we make mistakes. But God said, I'm going to send my only son, and he's going to make purifications for sin. I love John. First John says, complete propitiation for our sins. He cleans it all up. He makes purification. How did he make purifications for sin? He laid down his life. He lived a perfect life. And then they drug him to the cross. Seven Scandalous, messy, ungodly trials, beat him, spit on him, punched him in his 
face. He took it all because he loves you. Now, the good news doesn't stop there. The purification doesn't stop there. Because he went into a tomb and then he got out. He rolled the stone away. He rolled the stone away and got out. Dead Jesus Christ got up and walked around and said, all things have been given unto me. That's good news. So, whatever sin you may be stuck in today, he can clean that up. Whatever sin that may try to encroach upon your life tomorrow, he can clean that up because he has made purification for sin. And here's what a king does when a king is done working. He's sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And our Roman 8 tells us that by the power of the Spirit, he is constantly interceding for us, engaging, making good sense of our moans and our groans, things that we can't even get out. He's taking and he's ushering our prayers and our concerns to God the Father because God has anointed and appointed him. And he's taking those concerns to our dad, to his father, and he's making sense. And then they're responding. That's good news. I've been up here 30 minutes and I need to get ready to sit down. My wife said 28. Hey, you're, you're two minutes off. I'm looking at that thing. That clock is counting. I just think you that. She said it's fast. No harmonic back. Okay, never mind. Read the prophets. Second thing I want you to do is read, read the New Testament. Read the words of Christ. The third thing that I want you to do, an application point, is just to listen for God. Just listen as you're reading the scripture. Just listen to him speak to you. Now, that takes some time. You need to sit with the word. You need to sit. Just listen to him. He'll, he'll, he has an answer for whatever it is you're going to sit and listen. I remember my mom telling me, you're not listening to me. She's trying to give me directions, and I'm trying to go. My son does it. My daughters do it. We all do it. You know, it's like, no, listen to my directions so that you don't mess it up. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to just sit and just listen to what God is saying to us. In verses 5 to 13. <laughs> Thank y'all for laughing with me. This is this exchange where the writer is going back to the Psalms and he's pulling in the Psalms and he's making, he's making the case for Christ is supreme. He is better than the angels. But there, there are a few things that I want us to get in these verses. And this is the fourth application point. I want you to love righteousness. There's actually some other ones. I'm just going to make this my fourth so I can sit down. I want you, in verse 9, like what makes Jesus Christ supreme and us secure is because he loves righteousness. He loves what is right. Now, he, does, it is, he, he, like, loves whatever makes the people happy. That's not what the Scripture says. It doesn't say he, he goes along to get along. It says that he loved righteousness. Do you love righteousness? Or do you love your favorite thing, whatever it could be? Love what is right. 
even if it's unpopular, even if it's different than what you are used to, love righteousness. Righteousness has no standing. I'm sorry, I can't get in the standing and the way of God. Just love righteousness. So here are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Lord, I'm looking at a situation like what is the righteous way for me to respond? Father, I'm getting information from multiple sources. What is the righteous way for me to respond? Lord, you've given me spiritual gifts. You've given us capacity of a local body. What is the righteous way for me to respond? Sometimes the righteous thing to do is to respond in silence. Sometimes we need to speak. Sometimes we need to move. Sometimes we need to go. Sometimes we need to act. Are we loving in righteousness? I'm hearing, I'm hearing what you all are doing. You're loving the community. I hear that. Are you taking part in these activities? Do you love righteousness? And then the fifth thing, fifth application point, I need for you to hate wickedness. It's verse 9, it's clear. It says you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. I like the NIV. The NIV says you hate evil. Now, I got to be frank. I shouldn't have said that. I hate when people say that. I'm just going to be clear. When I first read this, my eyes looked immediately outward. And I thought about all the wickedness going on. And about 17 and a half seconds into me thinking about all the wickedness that was outside my body, the Lord slowly just panned my eyes and made me look at me. So it's the inward wickedness and evil that we must first put to death. Do you hate your own wickedness? You hate the own wickedness, the own, the, the evil things that rise up in your heart and in your minds, the evil places that your thumbs and fingers want to take you on technology. You hate the evil thoughts that come into your head. You hate the ungodliness and the wicked, wicked things that you think. The, the Bible says we should love righteousness and hate wickedness because Christ loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And once we've gotten the plank out of our own eye, then we can look outwardly and help our brothers and sisters get the speck out of their own eye. There's this dual work that has taken place here. We are, we are constantly cleansing up ourselves and we're constantly looking outward so that the world looks more like Jesus. Do you hate wickedness? Are you just cool with it? Like, oh, this is what they do nowadays. No, it ain't what they do nowadays. If it's ungodly, this is a new thing for my peers. Your peers stink if they're living in ungodliness. Oh, it's just the way our company rolls. If you're, no, it ain't the way your company rolls. If it's outlined with the, of the word of God, you should roll in the other direction. Do you hate evil? Jesus does. Okay, that's 35 minutes. Okay. I'm going to land this plane. I'm landing now. Please take your seats and don't move around because we're about to land this plane. Verse 12 says, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. You are the same and your years have no end. 
That verse right there speaks of Christ's eternality. So one day, Jesus Christ is going to hit this reset button. He'll make all things new. Believers, whether you suffered a little on this earth, you suffered a lot on this earth, whether you've followed as much as you can every single commandment or you struggled with particular sin your entire life. It says Christ is the same and his years have no end. He's going to make all things new and we'll be with him. And because we get to be with him, we are secure. Let me pray for us. Lord, your word is true and it will endure forever. Your son is supreme. He will endure forever. Life is hard, but Christ is supreme. We are forever secure. Your son, Jesus Christ, has been anointed, which makes him supreme makes us secure. Your son Jesus Christ laid the foundation which makes him supreme, which makes us secure. The heavens and earth are the handiwork of your son, which makes him supreme and which makes us secure. Your son will remain forever. We can be kept in him and live forever that makes your son supreme and makes us secure your son has the power to roll up heaven and earth like a dusty old garment that makes him supreme and us secure your son is now sitting at your right hand father we praise you praise him for that that makes him supreme and us secure you don't hold our sins against us because your son is supreme and that should make us secure. We cast our sins as far as the left is from the right because your son is supreme and that should make us secure. You've equipped this church with every needed spiritual gift because your son, Jesus Christ, is supreme and that should make this church secure. You've given them a loving, kind pastor because your son, Jesus Christ is supreme and in that preaching the good gospel truth should make this dear flock secure God there's so many insecurities that we deal with in our daily lives let us just rest in the security that we have in you this prayer in all Ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.